Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Andreas Steckenborn, who's the COO of Borellus Mining Company, uh, a privately owned gold company uh, with a project located in the Walker Lane Gold Belt of Nevada in the US. Um, Andres is an active listener of the podcast, and we were just speaking off air, and he's been listening to the podcast for, for over a year and a half now. Um, so he's going to tell us a little bit about himself, a little bit about the company and what they're looking to achieve. So that's welcome, Andres, to the podcast. How are you doing, Andres? I'm doing great, Rob. It's uh, fantastic to be on the podcast after listening to so many episodes and so many interesting discussions. Yeah, and I appreciate appreciate your time. And as I mentioned uh, just off air, um, it's great that a listener can come on um, and speak about their specialization now whether that's whether that's um they're they're a owner of a of a business or of a mining company or if they have a particular specialization that they want to come on and, and share their story and share share i suppose their expertise among the the global mining community so yeah i really appreciate you uh reaching out to me and uh wanting to come on as a guest so for those that obviously don't know you, I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about your your background, about your career, uh, before we uh, go into some more questions around the the business and uh, what you're doing. Absolutely. So uh, I'm a mining engineer by trade. I guess if I step all the way back, sure, we'll step all the way back to the beginning. Uh, growing up, my dad, I now realize, unfortunately, was a gold bug. So... I learned about a bit about the precious metals sector and gold as investing philosophy from a very young age. Uh, he also sometimes had us play in some junior mining stocks. I remember some very memorable ones, uh, one involving a fantastic boulder in the middle of uh, a glacial till field with spectacular uranium, gold, and silver results, but obviously nowhere near the deposit. But good enough for my dad. And next thing you know, my sister and my uh, my money were all invested in this little junior we knew nothing about uh, on my dad's behest. And it didn't go very well, but it was a learning experience. And uh, from an early age, I had some exposure, but didn't know I was going to be a mining engineer at age 10, of course. Uh, and then after high school, I, I went to China for a couple of years and learned Mandarin. It was a good experience, put a different perspective on things. Uh, it was a privilege to be able to experience the world through a different language, a different culture and worldview. And while I was there, I watched documentary about deforestation and desertification, especially in the north of China, the Gobi Desert was advancing southwards. And I thought this, this is what I wanna do. I could become an environmental engineer and do this. So came back to Canada and went into the engineering discipline. 
And at the start, it's a general engineering program that first year. So I was introduced to all the different disciplines. We had some of the professors and industry experts talk about mining engineering. And it struck me as a fascinating field. First of all, the opportunity to travel to these places that I'd never seen or heard of was fantastic. And somehow it struck me as entrepreneurial and dynamic in a way that civil engineering just didn't strike me. I didn't want to keep revising a building code for the rest of my life. So somewhere in my gut, I knew that mining engineering was the way to go for me. And I think each person makes their own decision based on their, their interests and aptitudes. But that was the way to go for me. So I went into mining engineering headfirst, really enjoyed it, had some fantastic experiences working as a student and joined uh, Detour Gold at their startup phase. So that's a Northern Ontario gold mine now up in the first first or second largest producer open pit gold mine in Canada at the present. And I went through the entire startup phase, the growing pains and the challenges associated with it and learned a lot along the way. So Detour was a, a good proving ground and a good uh, environment to, to learn and to challenge myself. After spending almost 10 years there, I decided to start my own consulting business. So I went ahead with that, got to see a couple different mines across North America, and also help with uh, Cote Gold's autonomous startup. So that was another exciting opportunity to interact hands-on with autonomy in the mining sector. And it was very informative. Um, if, if anybody gets an opportunity to get a tour at an autonomous mine, I would certainly take the opportunity <laughs> immediately to check it out and learn a bit firsthand. And following that, I had been evaluating projects as part of my consulting business, working with a couple other people that I know. And we came across this project here, the Borealis project, and thought, this is a very interesting prospect. We think there's real opportunity here. So we investigated it followed it up and decided to acquire the asset. And so we acquired the asset in April of this year. I moved down from Northern Ontario in, in Timmins. I moved my family down and we all moved down to Reno, Nevada. So we decided to go from one extreme to another and moved down here to Nevada and acquired the asset. And you mentioned at the start that it's a private company. But our vision is that we think that this company is better served as a publicly traded vehicle, a publicly traded asset. And we're looking forward to trading publicly in November on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So that's exciting news right there. And we think that that alone is the impetus that is going to bring this project to the next level. And that's where I am right now. I, I've, this is now startup number three for me. Uh, Detour, Cote, and now Borealis. And yeah, this is what I love to do. Right. I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about Borealis. Absolutely. So I think off the top, Borealis is located in Nevada. That's, that's good context to have. As you know, uh, it's been ranked 
the world's top mining jurisdiction by the Fraser Institute this year. So we're in a fantastic location. We're located on the Walker Lake Trend, which is in northwestern Nevada. Compared to the Carlin deposits, it's, uh, it's not really come to the fore yet, but there's a lot of really exciting deposits in our area. So we think we're the up, up and coming trend at Borealis. The mine is located midway between Reno and Las Vegas. So it's at the midpoint between the two. And uh, it's very central. It's got great access to power. It's got access to a rail spur. It's got a local workforce. So I drive in from a town called Hawthorne. Uh, and in less than half an hour, I'm at the mine. So we, we're very well served by that. So Borealis, from a mining engineer's perspective, having water, power, infrastructure, access to workforce, those are all crucial. Those are all steps that, that help simplify the process along the way. Also, geologically speaking, Borealis is located in one of the largest epithermal alteration zones in Nevada. So it's a three mile by seven mile alteration zone. And the reason why that's important for a geologist and also for a mining engineer, I think even more so for a mining engineer, is in order to get a mineable deposit, you need scale. It's very nice to have this spectacular little vein with incredible assays, but nobody's going to be mining that. You need to have a large zone in order to have the proper conditions to build an economic mine, to have the amount of mineralization to allow for Econ economic mining to take place. And that's what we have. And we have a history of mining there. We've produced 650,000 ounces since the 1980s, uh, primarily gold with silver as a byproduct. And we've got some exciting uh, projects lined up at Borealis. So we're starting a drill program. Uh, it's going to be the biggest drill program that's taken place at the mine since 2006. So a fair period of time has elapsed since people have really uh, used a drill bit to go discover the potential of this project. We're looking at a 7,500 meter drill program and also some interesting metallurgy taking place as well. That's great. Um, what would you say sets Borealis project uh, apart from uh, some of your other neighboring uh, companies and neighboring assets? What, what would you say sets your project apart? It's a good question. First off, we just we just talked about scale. I think scale is crucial. Uh, working with that scale of um, mineralization, and you can see it when you're there. When I drive in and I come around uh, up the mountain pass and come across a switchback, I can see zones of alteration all around me. You can see it's very visual in, in a place like Nevada compared to Canada, where a lot of that um, mineralization is hidden underneath uh, all sorts of till and soil and everything it's hard to see here it's very visible it strikes you you can see there's zones where mineralization occurs so you can see that scale just coming around visually you see it instinctively uh, so that's that's great the the scale of the project and emplacement is fantastic uh, the other thing that sets us apart from a lot of the projects nearby in the walker lane trend is the fact that we're permitted we already permitted to start mining. So we're permitted. We have a, a plant, a functioning plant. And actually, we were pouring gold this year from uh, the residual heap leach operations that have taken place. 
So we've got permitting, we've got a plant, which means we've already sunk the capital and we've taken a lot of the construction risk out of the project. And that, that means that an advantage versus, let's say, a greenfield project that has to jump through 50 hoops to get going is we find 50,000 ounces, 100,000 ounces, we can bring that into the production pipeline um, at an order of magnitude of simplicity versus a greenfield project. They need to go through so many hurdles. I think if you look at an analogy from other sectors and investors, they would take the analogy of there's a moat, a moat built around the business. It takes a certain amount of effort to get beyond that moat and, and actually start producing. So we have a moat around our business in that type of analogy. And that's desirable. That's very desirable. Um, obviously, mining sometimes that obviously has, a, and I speak about this in many of a, the podcasts, obviously it has a, a bit of a branding image and people outside the mining maybe maybe thinking that it's all bad, negative. Um, but do you think there's a moral and ethic benefit for mining precious metals? I actually have been reflecting on that. And this is my personal credo. Uh, one of the whys of why I do what I do. I do think precious metals has a value from, a, from an ethical perspective in that people work very hard to earn their money to make a living. They're sacrificing. We really are sacrificing our time and our energy in exchange for this financial gain. And yet that value gets eroded, sometimes very slowly and incrementally like it is right now. If you're living in, in the United States or Canada, you're probably seeing the value of your dollar decrease year over year. Um, and sometimes it happens suddenly in an inflationary scenario where you just you either there's a bank run and you can't withdraw that money or your, your money is inflated into nothingness. And those are years of your life you can't get back. You really can't get back. You made a conscious decision to sacrifice something for that. And I think gold and silver are a store of value in that way. And it could actually be a life-changing opportunity for someone in that that wealth could be destroyed. But if they could retain 10% of what they had earned over all those years, that can help, help them reset and either you know, live through a difficult period or start a new life somewhere else without having to start from zero. And that's happened in the past, and people's lives have been transformed through that very medium. And I think that knowing that I provide that security to people is meaningful to me. Um, I'm obviously in the, the recruitment world of, of recruiting uh, mining professionals. How should we uh, connect with the next generation? Um, obviously, in light of... Uh, poor recruitment among my, the, the mine or recruiting mining engineers um, and geology programs. And as I've probably said on numerous occasions, especially on, on LinkedIn, for instance, um, that there is a skill shortage and there seems to be not many, not many people studying mining related subjects and the numbers have sort of decreased over, over the years. From your perspective, how would you say we should, sort of reconnect and connect uh, with the, the next generation of, of mine engineers and geologists? I think it's a subject 
which a lot of people have been talking about on your episodes, uh, along with a lot of other discussions, industry forums and such. For me, I guess looking at the individual's perspective, we can live our values. If, for example, finding that why, why are we doing this? Being able to reflect on that and then speak to it has a huge influence on people when you talk to them. Because if you're starting off with those principles and you're living them, that's a lot easier to convey and communicate. It's coming naturally from what you believe in. So living those values both on the why of what you do and also the how you do it. So as a COO, it's making sure that we're working safely, right? So if you're living that in your day-to-day, even outside of work, thinking about, okay, am I actually doing something smart and safe? That kind of behavior carries through in everything you do. And I think that allows you to connect with people who might not be in mining a lot easier because you're living those values already. So it's easy to speak to. It's easy to convey. It's very simple. And, and I don't think you really need to memorize much about the story. You're, you're living it every day. And that's, that's the best I can do. At least I'm, I'm trying to think and live by that so I can reach out to people and talk to them. And honestly, the worst that can happen if someone is, is really against mining, I think the worst that can happen is you're going to have a slightly unpleasant discussion, potentially, but you'll probably learn something too. And they may learn something too, begrudgingly. So there's no harm in, in having these conversations with people and, and trying to understand where they're coming from as well. What are some of the challenges uh, the company and the, the project is facing, um, I suppose, in the short to medium term? In the short to medium term, I would say some of the challenges are around the costs. Rising costs are going to be a variable that I think everyone who is either operating a mine or planning to start a mine are facing. So there's a couple variables there that uh, that could be that need to be evaluated seriously, including rising interest rates. Those do influence, for example, if you're a if you're planning to do contract mining, well, the cost of that contractor potentially leasing equipment, their cost of leasing has gone up. So that will be carried over to the person who is conducting the contract mining. And as those interest rates rise, they have to both cover that cost and still retain profitability. So contract mining costs can change. Um, the the fluctuating costs of these inputs, such as diesel, diesel especially, is a risk. And then we're going into winter again. And I'm sure in Europe, you guys are keeping a, a tight eye on that. But that's a real variable that I think is sometimes under-discussed, is these fluctuations that are come that are going to come through in this winter they could be quite significant to a lot of producers. So these input costs are fundamental to our business. And for the past, well, since COVID, I think they've been fluctuating a lot more wildly than before, which makes it a lot harder for you to ensure that you're going to be able to maintain that bottom line. And lastly, I just wonder what the uh, the uh, outlook is for the remainder of the year going into 2024 for for the company and the Borealis project? Absolutely. Well, I would say that we're starting off with a 7,500 meter drill program, as I said, and that drill program is both going to 
bring some of our what would what would become um, indicated or measured resources from the inferred category. We're doing some of that. So further building the resource is our vision there, and also doing some exploratory drilling on some of the really interesting prospects we have on site, both uh, sulfide and oxide. Uh, and those are typically, I'm going to step back to that for the listeners who are not as familiar with that. But uh, in our types of deposit, a lot of southwestern United States and also in South America and a lot of places in these deposits, the oxides materials are more amenable to uh, to leaching, to cyanide leaching for extraction of gold, whereas the sulfides tend to be um, more difficult to process. So I was just taking that step back for the listener who's less familiar with our technical world there. So we're doing exploratory drilling and also uh, drilling to increase our resource. Also on the front that I'm working on as the COO, it's evaluating the potential of the mining restart. Uh, we have uh, a permitted project, as I said, we have a plant and I think we have very good potential and a great outlook to bring this mine back into production in the, in, in the 2024 period. And that is something that I'm evaluating. And that's one of my key responsibilities at the project is, is to evaluate that and make the right decision moving forward. Right, Andreas, really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for uh, obviously telling us about uh, the Borelis uh, project. And um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, if they want to follow, follow the story, uh, how can they go about doing that? And also what social media platform platform channels are you on? I'm on LinkedIn. I'd say that's probably the best place to connect with me. And uh, my email is an absolute mouthful. So let's maybe just link it in the show notes and people can connect with me there. And if you follow my LinkedIn, uh, keep me posted. I mean, I'll keep you posted, sorry, uh, as to our go public date. So there's some exciting news coming forward from the project in the next coming months. Yeah. And you stole my word. So all of that will be in our show notes to come in this. So um, Andres, really appreciate your time. Thank you for being an avid listener of the podcast. Wish you well for the, the remainder of the year going into next year. Perhaps you want to come on uh, sometime next year and give us an update on the, on the progress. Now, that would be brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Rob. I really appreciated it. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate your time as well. And audience, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please uh, keep sharing these, um, these uh, episodes. As Andreas mentioned, obviously around precious metals, that's, I suppose that is a measurement of uh, people's wealth, uh, not only just countries' wealth, but e even individual wealth if you are a precious metals collector. So um, please share this episode, not with just mining pit people within our industry but people outside of our industry as well um, and it doesn't have to be shared just with people in north america please share this all around the world um, whether it's in asia south america africa europe um, please keep sharing these episodes to educate our mining mining community and also obviously people outside of our mining community so until next time happy mining Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.